My name is Sam Hutchinson. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking, lads? Spot on. Got I went into one. Scouse there. You I did a little Scouse bit. There. <laughs> <laughs> Just taking a piss. Taking the absolute No, piss. I wasn't. I know not to mess around with Scousers. I'm all right, honestly. Danny goes into Scouse every time he plays football. I know, he gets squeaky like... every time. I know. Like, get off, get... Where are you? Just, <laughs> Just Jamie Carragher. Just yeah, that's it. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to get into it, out the game where you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you yeah. regret that at oh, all? Yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today we're talking to Sam Hutchinson. Well, I played for Sheffield Wednesday, um, started my career off at Chelsea, uh, went through ups and downs there, through injuries and everything, and uh, yeah, find myself now second spell back at Sheffield Wednesday. Hello to you, the listener. Joining me today is Anthony Olsen and Ryan Pulford in the studio, the two chaps. How are we, boys? Ryan, you looking tired? Tired, fragile, everything else that comes with the night after or the day after a night out. But you're here though, aren't you? I'm here. Mind, miss it for the mind body and spirit. Yeah. That's it. You're here for the listener. They want to hear from you and you want to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to say to them? Oh, all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> and how are you, mate? Yeah, good, yeah. Less yeah. tired? Uh, well, I'm not hungover. If that, that's that's always good. So it's, it's a positive, but yeah, no, I'm a bit tired from from yesterday. But yeah, fantastic. Played cricket, didn't you yesterday? I did. Yeah, we started the game at twelve o'clock. It was twenty degrees. I bowled thirteen overs on the spin. <sighs> so I, yeah, that's how tired. That's how tired I feel. Yeah. Welcome um, to cricket marking, the yeah. podcast that uses cricket as a vehicle. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, just very stiff and tired. Oh, oh, all right, steady, steady. Yeah. I'm sure there are probably quite a few new listeners who are listening today, um, probably Sheffield Wednesday fans, I would imagine. So welcome to you as well, welcome to the podcast. It's, uh, it's lovely for us to have you, lovely for you to be here, and hello to our regular listeners as well. We very much appreciate your ears listening in to the Man Marking Podcast. So we're going to get on with today's episode, which is with the aforementioned Sam Hutchinson. Now, Anthony, mm. first port of call is to just tell the listeners... Where, why, how, who, when? When did this co- interview come about? Why did it come about? What, what, what's the purpose? <laughs> purpose. Um, <laughs> so basically, we interviewed Dom Stevenson, didn't we? We did. And uh, Sheffield we, Wednesday fan. Yeah, big Sheffield Wednesday fan. Author got a, got a great book out as well. He has uh, called. Which, uh, Get your head get in the game. Get your head in the game, yeah. I, I thought it. you'd have known that because you love the film, don't you? The High School Musical film. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, who doesn't love that film? Anyway, great, great that, less about that. We'll do another episode on that. Um, what on High School Musical? Yeah, fantastic franchise. Uh, anyway, right, Dom Stevenson. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, we asked Dom if he could put us in touch with with Sam Hutchinson because obviously he'd been quite open about his struggles throughout his career, um, yeah. and he did. He put us in touch with the media guy at Sheffield Wednesday, who then got in touch with Sam, and it was. Um, I wasn't on the interview, but I was just listening back the other day, and it was absolutely wonderful. Great guy, very mm. open, very honest perfect for, for this type of thing and probably an example to, to all other footballers 
and just you know anyone outside football as well just to front up and, and tell people about it yeah absolutely yeah so it was it was it was nice really because we've we've had a few um had to go through football clubs a few times to get these interviews the higher up you go with the players the more like hoops you have to jump through but with Sheffield Wednesday it was just dead easy wasn't it like literally Dom gave us the email address for the guy who'd set up the interview for him for his for Dom's book and he literally came straight back and said I've spoken to Sam he's up for it just let us know when you want to do it and that was it and just sorted it out for us so big thanks to uh to Sheffield Wednesday and their media department for sorting it out for us it's uh yeah it was it was a pleasure to to get Sam on and we always have a theme Ryan don't we We have a theme for every single episode do you want to tell the listeners what this week's theme is mate yep so this week's theme is sometimes football makes me ill fantastic so that's our theme and if you pick up on anything in today's interview anything that we don't pick up on and you want to email over to us you can email us at manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at marking underscore man. And don't forget to use that hashtag, where's the talking lads. Now we're going to hand you over to Sam Hutchinson and then we'll see you very briefly on the other side for a quick debrief. You're listening to Man Marking. Fantastic. Yeah, you, t- you touched on there that you started at Chelsea's Academy. I believe you were about nine when you first joined seven. the club. Started at seven. seven. Okay. Yeah, started at seven. Signed my first contract at nine. So, so how yeah. does that work then? A contract at nine? Well, I don't know. I think that's the first time you can you can sign a contract at that age. At that time, I think they go even younger now because my nephew's six and he's he's like he goes around like different academies at the moment, just like on trials and stuff. But um. I started when I was seven. Me and another professional footballer, Liam Bridcup, okay. come through at the same time. Uh, he obviously played for Leeds. A couple of others we joined on exactly the same day. So it's a, it's a long process, but um, one which was I was delighted with because I was a Chelsea fan growing up. All my family was, so it was just one of those things. How did you find that environment at such a young age? You don't think about it. At that, at that age, you're just like, you're just playing and playing football. Do you know what I mean? It's not yeah. until you get older then the, the the sort of pressure hits and 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 that side of it. But I just loved every every minute of it. My mum and dad thought I was too young. Um, at the beginning, my dad used to speak to me after games and stuff like that, like I was a, like an adult. And my mum used to have to tell him, "No, come on, <laughs> he needs to enjoy it and stuff like that." But um, I loved it. I was doing what every kid has ever wanted to do that played football played for their team so it was amazing for me my first game we won 13 when I was under sevens and like you can't beat it and and your dad played himself didn't he so was he always a very important figure in in you playing at an academy and and wanting to be a footballer in general yeah 100 he stopped when he was 18 like he played in youth teams and and stuff like that for QPR Chelsea and Millwall and stuff like that but he stopped and um yeah he's your dad's your hero, isn't he, at the end of the day? And you always want to, for me, I've always wanted to better. You always want to better your dad. I hope my boys can do the same um, in whatever they want to do and be a better person and a better dad and better everything. Um, and that's the way I've been brought up and that's the way my dad brought me up and my mum. So, um, yeah, obviously he's my hero. And you touched on yourself and, and William Bridcutt. There, there must have been tons and, well, hundreds of players you played with in the youth team. How many yeah. of them... Obviously, rough number. Do you think actually went on yeah. to to make it in the professional game? Not not a lot, but I do like from the age of under nines. We had like me, Liam Bridcut, Jack Cork, Andy King, 
So there was like, there's four of us in our age group that sort of went through and I probably missed the, yeah, I think that, that four sort of made it and they've done, re- they've had really great careers as well and um, um, done really good things outside of leaving Chelsea and stuff like that. So there's a couple, but it's difficult because it's a long process. You have to be so dedicated. Your family has to be dedicated to it and you've got to keep wanting to do it. You can't, like for me, like in the end, you, you have different parts of your life and different parts of your career that you end up resenting football. Yeah. Absolutely. And for yourself, you, I believe, developed something called, is it the chondral defect? Chondral defect, knee? yeah, yeah. Which, what age yeah. were you when that started sort of taking its toll on your body? Well, on my left side, it was like 10 or 11. So, like, from the age of, like, 10 or 11, I was in a knee brace. Andy Williams, I met Andy Williams, who's a famous surgeon. He does like, lots of footballers. He's retired now, but he's really famous in, in the footballing world or sports world of, of, of knee surgeons, really hard to do. And I met him when I was 10 or 11. He's like a family friend now because I've seen him so much. But um, <laughs> so I was in a knee brace from, must have been year six. I was 11 or 10, yeah. I was in a knee brace for eight months then. And it was a non-loading uh, area on my left side. So I wasn't allowed to kick a football. I got told off once for kicking a, a Coke can that I saw on the floor because I wasn't <laughs> allowed to do even that. And all I wanted to, as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, all you want to do is kick stuff, don't you? You're, yeah. You want to play football. So... That was that was it started then. Uh, I was lucky enough to add a I had a four year contract at that age, so it saw me through. But like it was a struggle, and that was probably where mentally I I I struggled at the beginning. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're eleven and ten, you're so far away from being a professional, but that's yeah. obviously the dream at the same time, and you're doing well, and you're getting contract after contract. Mm. Did you feel the pressure at that time, looking back with a bit of hindsight? The only pressure I started feeling was when I come out of the injury and then you're going for a scholarship and you're 14, 15 and I was struggling. I was struggling physically because I'd, I hadn't played for so long. I missed like two years. Um, and I didn't, I didn't want to do it anymore at that age. And mm. obviously, like you get in your family, you struggle with the pressure from your family because they know that you're good enough technically and whatever because you've gone through that process. But at the end of the day, like it's got to be within you and I knew I wanted to play football but at that time I didn't want to do it yeah absolutely I can imagine it's that. like an addict it's like an addiction it always has been for me it's like an, a real addiction to me football because sometimes I really hate it and I do not want to do it but I can never I can never close it off it's such a, it's such a weird the only way I can describe it is having an addiction because I can't it's just there all the time as much as you can hate it and it's bad for you and sometimes it is bad for me because it makes me it makes me ill but I always go back to it. And for someone like yourself, who's quite rare to suffer as young as you did, mm. there must have been an element of why me, I imagine, in your thought process, because it wasn't like a, a nasty tackle or one particular moment. It was almost no. something that you've just been dealt, the hand you've been dealt almost. Yeah. I suppose, yeah. But I also think that I was so lucky to be where I was and to be looked after how I... At the time, like from my retirement, I resented Chelsea an awful lot because I did things and they made me do things that I should never have done at them ages and stuff. But the way they looked after me, no club would have looked after a player like that. And I, I was a big part of that uh, from Chelsea. From I was there from 7 to 24. And, the, and as much as I give to them, they give back to me and they did really look after me, every, every staff member, every person at that club. So um, I always just thought I was lucky and I, I still do now. There's a lot of people worse off than me. That was my mentality. Like wherever I landed, there was always someone, there's always someone worse off than you. Do you know what I mean? And 
Um, I grew up in Windsor, so the army barracks were there. So I knew boys that went off to Afghanistan and lost their lives or lost loved ones and stuff like that. And it was always just get a grip of reality and check where you're at. And that period you were at Chelsea then from sort of 06 to 14 as a professional, how many of those years were you dealing with pain and that injury? Was there a period where it was healthy and looking well or was it a constant battle? Do you know, for six, I got in the, I scrambled to get um, a scholarship. I scrambled to get a scholarship and I was the last one to get a scholarship. Then we went into the under-16s. Like all of, Most of my age group went to England because obviously we was one of the best acad- academies. And then I, the first 16s, the Victoria Shield, um, the Shield, I never got called up for. So um, the first team needed needed a couple of bodies. So Brendan Rogers was my youth team manager at the time. He sent me over there. And like Marina, my first my first training session, I smashed her and Crespo. I was a 16-year-old boy. And like he loved me from there. And so my career progressed more from not being chosen for England than than being chosen for England because from all the England boys I was like Mourinho knew me so yeah. it went on from there and then um, 17 I made my debut under Mourinho was moved into the dressing room and it went on from there really How did you find that transition going from youth team football or the surroundings people your own age to being with one of the most charismatic managers in football and yeah. some massive personalities I mean John Terry and the like with yeah. at the time. At that time, at that time, like with like the the coaching that we'd have from Brendan and the confidence he'd give you, like I, w- I was I had no injury problems at that time, so I was just fit and healthy, and I could do everything. I I could train every day, um, and then obviously by making like doing that, I was just I was just so confident. It didn't nothing phase me, and when you're that age, I don't think it does. And mm. then uh, that preseason after making my debut, I played like in 21 games not I didn't play all of them but I was having injections to train on a pre-season like I was 17 I was with the first team and like some of the boys were saying why are you having an injection and like that pre-season I missed uh my my great auntie Vi's funeral like I'd, I'd do anything to I was I was so focused and dedicated to do what I needed to do I was having injection and I just made it worse I come off a pitch against England I was captain of England at the time and uh the real thing, it just made me feel, started making me feel sick after games because I was in that much pain. And so I said to him, like, look, it's no good. Then we went to Villa Park um, after that England game, really. And then I come off at half time and that was it. I had, an, uh, I had an operation after that and they said it was 18 to 24 months injured. And is that that's when then, it really kicked in. Yeah. You then get to the age of 21 where you made the decision to retire yeah. which well, by the, the thing, sounds yeah. it couldn't have been a decision you made lightly I don't imagine no but the thing was I, w- I was under Ancelotti and I got back in the squad after like three years out and then I wasn't training I was playing with like um, world class players and I was doing a training session here and a training session there regardless of my ability or whatever it used to be not tra- <laughs> they're obviously going to be miles better and then I felt the pressure from that because obviously I knew that I was talented but the fact of the matter is no one could do, no one could come back from an injury after three years and then go in and out of training sessions. You need to be as fit as you can. And it was, it was so difficult. I couldn't handle the pressure. I couldn't handle the pressure on my body. I couldn't handle it mentally. I couldn't handle anything. And I had no support. Um, no one spoke about stuff like that. And I didn't know what was going on with me. Do you know what I mean? I, I didn't want to go training. I didn't want to do anything. When you made that decision to retire, how did you approach yeah. it with the club? How how did you sort of break the news to them? And 
Who did you consult? I had, I had my tonsils taken out, right? It sounds like a really weird story, <laughs> but I had my tonsils taken out because me and Michael Essen used to get tonsillitis all the time. And whenever I get ill, it's when I'm tired and I'm like drained and like mentally, I, that, that year I had, when I was injured, I'd had it like five times. I just said, take them out. We done one training session and I got it from the first day because I knew I couldn't run. My knee was killing me and I couldn't run. And I was like, I'll oh, get my tonsils out. And I got my tonsils out so I could have time off of work. So I could, because I couldn't physically do it of the preseason. So, and then once I got so low with that, because I was in pain with that, I just said, look, I've had enough. Can't do it no more. And then that was it. And you've mentioned there that you didn't feel like there was there was much support. Um, was that, do you think, because it wasn't available or maybe you didn't want to ask or... Back then, 11 years ago, it was no one spoke about anything. I didn't know. I was, I was a 21-year-old man going through. I just thought I was upset because I was always injured. I didn't know what I was going through until I had like suicidal thoughts. Then, then I knew I had to tell someone. I knew that something was going wrong. I was always angry. Whenever I drove, I was always very angry. Um, so I knew there was something wrong, but my personality is a little bit like that. I like can I can flip. My mum always used to say I'd bipolar, but she used to. It's not nothing to laugh at, but she always said there was like you can be the loveliest kid or you can be like that, and yeah, it's just sometimes it happens. And did you did you stick around the club to do some coaching at that period? Do you know? Yeah, Neil Bath straight away. Do you know what? Actually, it's one of the regrets I had because I don't think I'd be in football now if I didn't do that. But yeah. On, I was driving back the other day because I, I live in Sheffield. Um, I'm back at Sheffield Wednesday, but I live in Ascot. So my family are in Ascot and I'm doing uh, driving up and down. And I was thinking about it the other day, like thinking, I should have just spent that time six months away from football. But it kept me in It kept me in football and I sort of done some mentoring. I went to university and just tried to live a normal life. Um, yeah, and that was it. Yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, the, the reason I ask is because I remember seeing on the Sky Sports ticker about you yeah. retiring and it, yeah. the, it said after it but you're staying on to coach or something along those yeah. lines that, well, yeah uh, they wanted me to coach a lot and I was too close to it I didn't want to coach and I still haven't done yeah. my badges and I regret that now because I want to stay in football and I want to I love football and I have that passion for it again but you, when you're when you're that young you're so close to it even when someone retires like older than me like you're so close to it you, sometimes you need a rest from it if you've done it for so long um, so I stuck around, done a bit of mentoring, went to university and that was it really. Just kept my feet in the door. I always used to go and see like, like my mates at the club and stuff like that and see the boys. But it just, it never was the same. But I was happy to be out of it. I never wanted to go back. And you've actually been very honest about that and also been very honest about your depression. Do you remember yeah. when you kind of realised that you were depressed and it was no longer just a, a joke of how you feel? It was actually... I need help for this. Yeah, I can't remember if it was before I retired or I, I believe it was after and it was it was going through and when they was going to let it out because it took ages to come out and I just wanted it out straight away. So I think some, there was like a press release in August, but I'd said it on June the 1st. So I just wanted it out and it hadn't come. And then I was driving one day and we I live in quite a rural area and I just thought, what if I just go and smash into one of them tractors or drive or do something on the other side of the road? And once I started thinking like that, I was thinking, what am I doing? What is going through my head? So I just said, I said to Eva, the doctor at the time, I had a really good relationship with her. I said, look, I'm having some, I'm having some bad thoughts and 
and obviously I said it went into depth and stuff like that and then um it went from there I never never did think I would ever I would ever do it or act upon it but when you have them thoughts like it shocked me because I I'm not one of those people I didn't think I was one of those people to have them thoughts or to go through that what my life's my life's actually very good like why would I be having those thoughts but then it doesn't it can affect anyone it doesn't matter who you are and do you think you understood what was driving that? So kind of what I mean by that is obviously you had such bad luck with the football that that yeah. was enough to, to bring you down, of course. But do you think even without the football, the type of person you were that was capable of rearing its ugly head anyway? Do you think it was a combination of the both or is there anything? No, nah, nah, I, I think my whole life I was set up to play football and to be... Like from when 17, I had videos on my TV of Mourinho saying I could be the next whoever he loved me and stuff like that and whatever. And then you go from to that to nothing. And I'd done it from the age of seven and I'd finally got to where I wanted to be and I couldn't do what I could, what I wanted to do or how I wanted to do it. I was just shot to pieces. Everyone sees me or everyone has seen me as, oh, I'm a footballer. And like, that doesn't define me as a person at all. And that, that's a big thing for me. Like I, I often say that, but at the end of the day, I am a footballer. And that, that is what I've been programmed to do. It's like a boxer. Like Tyson Fury from birth, he's been programmed to be a boxer. And I don't, no way am I comparing myself to him. He's world-class and he, he's like an inspiration to me watching his things. Like when I've watched his, his documentaries and his, and his things on thingy, like it makes me emotional because what he's, what he speaks about and how he felt is what I've, what I felt. So for someone of that, that ilk and that, um, to have that talent and to be so open about it can only be better for the situation. Absolutely. We speak to quite a lot of former players and yeah. the biggest problem they have is in retirement that they feel like they've lost their identity. So yeah. for you to almost go through that process at 21, yeah. And with the option of maybe coaching and being around people not too dissimilar to your age and enjoying the football and being injury-free, yeah. I can imagine that environment would just be, it's almost teasing you of what you yeah, would have it, had. It was like torture. And obviously, none of the people that were helping me could see that because they only had my best interests at heart and they knew if I stayed around it, then I could maybe foresee something in the future. Like, it would be a good process for me. But at the time, I was... I was just in a bad place. So when you made the decision to return back into the professional game, how 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 did how did you deal with your emotions at that stage? Was it coming from a sense of I'm gonna to have to work through this no matter what, through the pain barrier, or was it more grateful that the opportunity had been able to present itself again? Well, do you know, it was it's funny really because um I was I never wanted to do it again. I, I definitely never wanted to play for Chelsea again. I said that. I was adamant because I blame them. And like when you're young or when you've ever got a problem, naturally, as a human, you, you try and put blame onto someone else. And the fact of the matter is, I got injured because I got injured. That's what it is. It was no one's fault. It is what it is. Um, it, was a, it was a physio and a player that was, that was in the hydro works and they, was doing, they were doing a few bits. And uh, he was my good mate at the time. And he said, look, why don't you just have a go back? You still look fit. You can go somewhere. He said, you go somewhere in a championship. I said, I don't want to play football again. I'm done. I'm happy with where I'm at. And then Brian English, the doctor, he had Darren Campbell 
the sprinter, the the great British sprinter, he had him in working with, I think it was Shevchenko and then Torres changing his running gates and worked with him, got a bit of enjoyment out of it. And I said, and uh, I was sitting, my my wife was working at the time and uh, I, I'd, she'd come in from work and I'd just be sat on a sofa with a cover every day. And she was like, you need to do something. I said, I can't, I've got nothing to do. I don't want to do anything. She went, and then we had had a little discussion and um, she said, well, when we have kids, I want I want to have this car and I want to do this and we can show the kids this. And I just thought it just something clicked in my head. Like, I can't let my kids not see me play football. And like the, the most special thing to me is like, I've got a little girl, she's my princess. But to see, like, so they she can see my work ethic and my boys can see my work ethic. But my boys can come to the stadium and watch me play football is the driving force through any pain I've ever had. And like, even now, like I went to Cyprus was probably in the lowest point I've ever been at in my life. And I made it, I've managed to come back here and for them to see that and the work ethic, like it's for them. Definitely and for them. What was, you just uh, talked there about, about being a father yourself. What was yeah. your parents' reaction to you going back to being a professional football after probably seeing you be so low previously? I don't know. If, I don't know if at the time I was speaking to him, because this is the thing, like, for me, when I was depressed, I thought they felt sorry for themselves as well because they saw what I could have had and what what I could have been. And I felt they felt sorry for themselves and they were they were looking for help themselves, not just me. And they saw me as the footballer instead of seeing me as the son because that's what I became. In reality, they just wanted the best for me, like every parent wants. But that's yeah. the way I saw it. So I pushed them away. Um, I pushed everyone away apart from my wife because I always just thought she's with me for me. But it's not like that. Everyone's like, my family has my best interests at heart and that's what it is at the end of the day. But um, what was the question again? Sorry, did I just go off? In the t- no, no, that, that was fine. I was just yeah. kind of saying you saw your parents. Oh, what was their reaction? reaction? Yeah. I don't know, really. Like, my, my dad's funny. He's like an old school, like, he doesn't really say much. He doesn't really give give much away. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if I do well, he'd say, oh, you've done well today. But it is one of those relationships. We have that kind of... And was your dad's career cut short by injury or was it just sort of the path he went down, ended up playing in non-week sort of thing? Uh, I think his dad died when he was 18. So I don't know. There's accumulation of things that stopped him playing. Not through injury, I just think. There's accumulations. There's a lot of things going on in football at that time. And I just don't think it was the yeah. place that he wanted to be. And you, you touched on Cyprus being the, the lowest point for you. Yeah. Um, sort of two questions. Firstly, why was that? And, and did your family follow you out to Cyprus or did you travel out there alone? So originally I was out there alone. Well, I never wanted to go out there. But re- with the COVID and everything, there was nothing there was nothing here and I'd left Sheffield Wednesday, which I didn't want to do. And there was nothing in England. So I went out there within two weeks. Like I said, Oh, it's brilliant. The weather's nice. Everything come out. So my family come out, they dropped all the school. We looked for schools out there. And then once that, once like a month had gone past, you realize this isn't the world that you want to be living in. It's for two weeks. It's fine. It's like a holiday destination, but once it all goes quiet, for my kids and their, the way of life that they're used to, it, it it wasn't right. And the football wasn't right. Nothing was right out there. And 
I've never played football for money. I'll never do anything for money because that's not who I am. I play football because I love to play football. Um, and once they'd gone, I was sat by myself and I was thinking, well, I might be earning good money here, but what am I doing? And it meant nothing. The games meant nothing. Nothing. It didn't mean anything to me. Without my family, they didn't. They couldn't get excited because they didn't know anyone was. They couldn't watch the games. And I was just like, oh, I'd gone. And there was a lockdown. No one could fly out. And I was just like, I'd completely and utterly finished. But I used it as a positive because of all the stuff and that I've I've looked for. And from being that negative, it's made it's it's completely changed me as a person. And for the first time since. Before my injury and before my retirement, I'm content with myself. Uh, I'm content with who I am as a footballer, who, has that, who I am as a person. And I'll, I'll be honest, it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. Sam, you've, um, you've obviously been, you know, as we've mentioned, very open about the stuff that you've gone through and the emotions that you've kind of dealt with over the last sort yeah. of 10, 11 years or so. Um, one of the things that we were we want to ask you was in terms of behind the scenes at football clubs between players, so in dressing rooms, training grounds, you know, on the bus, yeah. uh, in hotels, and that type of thing. Is that the type of thing that players would confide in one another about? Would you talk about it? Is is there an open dialogue between the players, or is it kind of no, no, no? I don't think there's I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's even anything in the clubs really, if I'm perfectly honest. Not that I've seen. Um, obviously I can only speak from the clubs I've been at and obviously Chelsea's going to be a lot different now because they're going to come they have the best of everything but um, uh, there's not and it's frightening really because you have all the physios I was saying about it the other day you have the doctors you have the physios and you're always trying to work on your body but that's your strongest part of your body Mm. so why it's not for me it should be put in place at every club you should have someone just to liaise with to speak to I know Wolves do Wolves have one for the manager and the players and then both together so they work on it but the boys don't speak about it it's very I was only speaking uh, today about another boy that we play with he's had quite a lot of injuries he's only young but he's had quite a lot of injuries and he's he's struggled and um, I was saying to him do you speak to anyone about it and he's like no and I said you should because regardless if you don't think there's anything wrong You've gone from playing all the time to not playing. It it, it messes you up because it's it's not just your expectations. Everyone has an expectation on you, from your club to your family to your friends. They all expect you to be this next best thing and you to be the best at everything. But reality is, no, not everyone can be. So with that particular player, then have you been able to act as a bit of a a bit of a confidant for him, a bit of a role model for considering what you've gone through? Do you know what? It's the first time I pulled him today because we was he's quite quiet and we spoke about it. Um, we was just warming up and I spoke about it to him and I'd seen little bits of it, like what I've gone through with him because he suffered with an injury and I was just thinking like, that I will pull him at a at stage and we were just having a little chat and I just, I I never want to push anything on him because you can come mm. across like, what do you call it? But, and I always think when someone wants to speak, they're ready to speak because I always you can't help yourself unless you want to be helped. And that's an old adage with any addiction yeah. that, that people want to say. But I also believe that's with depression and anxiety and stuff like that. If you don't want to be helped, you won't be helped. Yeah, so. I, think, I think that's really true. We, Ryan and I were talking about that the other day, actually, in terms of, you know, you can't, you can, you know, you can't take, um, you, know, you can't take somebody to the point where they need that, that help. They've yeah. got to get there themselves. And then the assistance yeah. comes after that, I suppose, doesn't it? A thousand percent. 
in terms of like footballers not kind of talking between themselves, why, why do you think that is? Do you think it's like a cultural thing or is that it's sort of more deep rooted in that? Do you know what? Since I've been <laughs> since I've been in football, football's changed so much. Like you you have a different personnel now and yeah, I don't I, I don't know why people don't speak about it. I honestly don't. I I think some people probably would. But there's still that sort of like t- tough upper lip and be a man about it and stuff mm. like that. Not as much as it used to be. It's like ridiculous now. I even say, come on, some there's got to be some men left in football. But, um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I just no, I don't know why. I don't know why sh- why you wouldn't do it if you needed to. But sometimes, also relationships aren't real at football clubs. Do you know what I mean? Football players now is such a business. Everyone's climbing on each other. There's, there's mm. I don't really feel. Like I've got a good couple of friends in football, but I've been in football since I was seven. I can count my, I can count on, rock, on my right hand how many friends, proper friends I've got in football. So you think, you weigh it up and you think, you look at it and think, well, do you know what I mean? Like my best mate in football, I speak to him all the, all the time about different issues, mental and stuff like that. And he suffers a little bit as well. So we, we bounce off each other and we're friends because I mentored him when he was in the academy when I retired and we've remained like he's like my little brother now so um stuff like i think if you have relationships like that they speak about it but not openly in the dressing room no definitely not i suppose it's quite a um it's such such a like, competitive environment isn't it yeah it's probably the same in in in, in other in, in other environments that are so kind of highly charged with their competitiveness as and, well, if it, and if anything people probably play on it if they see a weakness they jump all over it well that's it get them the upper hand it's interesting you should say that, Sam, because so we had um, Chris Uwilumo on the on the podcast yeah. a little while ago, and he was talking about when when he was a footballer. I think he was, I think it was when he was at Watford. He was on um, antidepressants that had been prescribed for him, I think, by the club doctor. Yeah. And he was saying that he was nervous about anyone in the team or the manager finding out in case he lost his his place in the team. And he was worried that they'd say, "Oh, well, he's obviously not up for it, or you know, he's not yeah. got, the, he's not strong enough for it." And I wondered if maybe that, you know, maybe that might, his, you know, his concerns might have been justified. I, I, I probably still believe that. Uh, like I've gone, for me, like I could be the most mentally strong person some days, and mentally the most fragile person on another day, and that's just my personality. So now everyone's treated the same, so you have to be like that in football, mm. whereas. Luckily enough, at Sheffield Wednesday now, we've got a manager that understands, is Darren Moore, he's played football, he understands what football is like. He treats everyone as an individual, so he knows people. And once you have that, you're lucky. But there's been several occasions that I haven't in my career, and it just doesn't work for me. And I think when, when you have that, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Throughout it, the whole club. It's, um, it's, 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 it's interesting, because I think, I, I mean, to kind of... I suppose, in fairness to football, I don't think it's just football that suffers from that. No. I think it's lots of different yeah. industries. But I suppose in football, it's highlighted because of the sort of um, sort of media scrutiny and the pressures yeah. and everything involved. So it's all amplified, isn't it? But I also think that's the cause of most people's depression and anxieties because of the pressure brought on from outside, mm. social media, the amount of uh, abuse people get racially the performance, everything, everything is scrutinized to, and we're regardless of, Oh yeah, you're paid this much money. You're paid that much money. We are only human and we are the same people as everyone else. 
that grew up playing in the garden or whatever. We don't come and scrutinise a painter's work or something no. like that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Or like a carpenter or something like that. You don't get someone standing behind just because you play thousands. You're meant to mentally be able to cope with that. Well, if you're not getting any support at a club, how are you any different to anyone else? Does that, even, does that breed any resentment amongst players at all? You know, the abuse. I mean, particularly, it seems, in the last few years, it's gotten particularly bad yeah. with the online abuse. Well, the, I just think you're, there's just being, there's just a more a massive gap now between fans and players and people in the limelight and, and fans. I think they'll just become greater and greater purely because people say, oh, they're, they're not in touch with reality. Yeah, they are, but their reality is getting abused. And people are getting abused for what? For, for doing well. Because I'll tell you what, the people that abuse them couldn't do a tenth of... Look at Jesse Lingard at the moment. He's on an absolute fire for West Ham. He's gone there. David Moyes has probably put his arm around him, given him a little bit of confidence and said, no, I know what you're good at. I know what... And he's gone, scored, scored in his first game and he's taken off. It doesn't become a bad player overnight, but when you're getting abused, his confidence was probably shattered. You don't know what's going on in the background. Maybe he had problems with his family or whatever, and he sorted them out. And and now you, it, 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 for someone to do well now, it's a bad thing. We live in a culture that's just full, fully negative, and they wonder why people suffer so much with with depression and anxiety. People want to people want to like yeah. build them up so they can tear them back yeah. down again, don't they? hundred percent. And we don't celebrate people being good. It's like the England national team. Straight away, we're negative straight away about it. But why? Because it, mainly it's jealousy because they see something called social media and they haven't got it and they're jealous of the fact. Yeah. I don't use any social media. I don't use anything. I don't well, see I, anything. I thought that was interesting, Sam. Is that, yeah. is that a conscious decision that you make to not engage in that type of... Well, I'm sort useless of. with technology. I never, <laughs> never got on with it. Like I've had you got on the call. You got on this just call. About, yeah. Just about. I had to FaceTime my missus to know how to do it because she normally does everything. So I've had an email address four years. That's that's me. That's my. <laughs> that's what I've had. So um, no, I just. I think a lot of people use it now for money and and fame and stuff like that, and they don't like the consequence of it. So I think. For me, no, I don't do anything. One, I don't do anything for money, and two, I don't. I'm private. I don't want people seeing what I do. I don't really care. Mm. I don't want to show off oh, what I've got or what I haven't got. I I'll applaud anyone that that has achieved and that that can afford or or do whatever they want in life because I think you've worked hard because I know the sacrifices I've, I've had to put in for what I've got. So I'd celebrate that, but I don't need to show off or feel. That's the way I look at it anyway. Yeah, you don't need someone else to justify it. You you can't exactly. Got that, I'm that. happy with myself. Yeah, that one of the things I was wondering, Sam, was you've said a couple of times about you've now in a position where you feel kind of more comfortable with who you are, and I suppose that's probably the good bits and the bad bits, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, you, yeah. you 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 use the words um, before when you're talking about football that it can make you ill, which I thought was yeah. really interesting that you use that way because that's the. I feel like that's the correct words, but we don't say it yeah. enough that that's what No, it is. yeah, you don't. Yeah, and it is, it's horrible. It's like, I've always, like up until this point when I come back to Sheffield Wednesday, I always said that it was like, a it tortured me. And it it really has tortured me throughout my whole life. Um, what, a couple, like four years ago, I was petrified to go out and play because I knew I'd come off injured. Mm. And whether that's, I'm putting that in my head. I was still coming off with proper injuries. One one time I slipped over in the fifth minute and, and broke my heel. They said, oh, 
We've never seen this before. Like, it only happens on car crashes. Like, and that's just like, do you know what I mean? And I played on for 45 minutes with that just be- purely because I didn't want to come off halfway through a game. I didn't even know you could like, break your heel. I didn't even know no, it was a God thing. Knows. God knows what happened. Honestly, my body's just not meant to play football, but it, <laughs> it just does it. It just happens now, so it's all right. Yeah, it's um, it's it's kind of interesting timing this the the, the conversation. I mean, Ryan will know because because we've spoken about it. But I got I've got bad I've got bad news myself, and I, the, yeah. the doctor told me about three weeks ago that if I carried on playing football, I'd have a, need a full knee replacement by the time I was forty. And I'm twenty eight, yeah. so I'm yeah. like, and I won't have played anywhere near as much football as like a professional would have done. Yeah. So like, and I was I'm very much the same as you, Sam. I I was always decent as a as a football when I was a kid, and that was always the thing where like people would be like, "Oh, get Dan to come down and play for you," because you you know he's decent kind of thing, yeah, and then yeah. that becomes like your self esteem sort of thing. And of then it does. when yeah. I got to like when I started, I think the, like when I realised I wasn't going to be a footballer, it was like really hard to then go and play football because I was just yeah. like. Uh, you know, you'd end up playing at levels where you thought, like, I'm better than this, but I just had yeah. lost the, but then you the get, drive. then you get sucked into that as well. Yeah. And then you become that. And people just think, oh, you're that. And it, it's, it's so difficult. And you can, I can understand why people get let go and then they never, like, get let go from a Chelsea and they never make it mm. as a footballer because it just goes. The drop's huge, isn't it? Like, it's oh, massive. Yeah. And where's the support for those people? Like, we're mm. speaking about professionals getting su- support and people like that, but for me, I've always been an advocate of them 16-year-olds that get let go at 16 and they fall off the face of the earth. Where's their support? Because they're going to have to deal with it. My dad had to deal with it. Like Other people's dealt with it in other walks of life. It's difficult. Yeah, it is. I was talking to someone about it today, actually. I just think, I think there's there's issues with the, the sort of academy system generally because it just, I mean, yeah. we were talking, I can't even remember who we were talking to about it, but they were saying like, um, you know, so-and-so was playing for, for Chelsea at this age or City or whatever it was. And I was like, when you're like 10, you're not, yeah. you're not really playing for Man United or no, Liverpool. You're, not. you're playing for a team that's wearing the kit, that's Man United's yeah. kit, because they, they and, and I think for kids to be told that they don't know any better and, and they've no. got no, they aren't able to know the consequences of the decisions that they make by going into that environment and then to drop them at like 16. And even if they, you know, I mean, but Ryan, most of them just make up the team anyway. Yeah, well, so they, 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 they need the bodies, don't they? Three. Of course yeah. they do. They're only going to push two or three. And when I come out of it, when I retired, and then looked at mentoring like the players, the ones I tried to mentor weren't the ones that they were pushing because I saw something different. I saw the ones that weren't being pushed actually were more talented, but struggled mentally more. So you give them that confidence, and then you see them go a bit more, mm. and you're like you realise, well, actually, no, they're all even because they've had the same training, but you're just pushing people more and their confidence is up here. So it's, it's horrible. Uh, like People always say, oh, it's your son's going to play football. I would hate my kids to play football. Like, I would never stop them doing anything and whatever they want to do, go and do it and be the best you can be and work as hard as you can and be dedicated. But I would honestly hate them to go through what I went through. As much as I love football and what I've taken out of it, I wouldn't want them to do it because it takes away your innocence and it takes away your childhood. Yeah, that's, I suppose that's the, that's like, the, as you were saying about sacrifice and stuff, it's literally like, because you, you get to, if you get to 18, 19, 20, 21 and you, you don't make it. Yeah. 
then it's like, what have you done it for? What, what you know, and, and there's a lot to give up, isn't it, to get to that point? A lot of opportunities that you'll have missed. But it's also, it's also a, like a proper head like mess up. I was going to swear then. A proper head. You can swear if you want. Do you know what I mean? We oh, probably will. <laughs> it's a, it was a proper head fuck. Like if if you do that, like I still get phoned up now from my fam- from people in my family, and they only call me up to speak about football. Yeah. They don't speak about like me or my family or my kids and stuff. And they only want to speak about football, and that's a head fuck because you're like, no, I've got a family. I'm I've yeah. finished work now. That's my job now. Like I don't ask you about your work. I want to just speak about my family. How are you doing? What are you up to? Like everything going on with COVID. See if everyone's all right. But I end up not answering phone calls because I know what it's going to be. Mm. And they're like, I'll just give a quick text because I don't want to speak about football. Yeah. And then it makes you probably think, do they even want to talk to me or do they just want to? Exactly. And you know they do. And they, you know they love you like you love them. But at the end of the day, sometimes you need to shut off. And I've learned to be able to do that and not play up to everyone. Like, I manage it now and you grow up, don't you? And that's what it is. Yeah, and that's it. It's like sort of compartmentalising Sam the human and Sam the person yeah. who goes to work at football, isn't it? And it's, exactly. it's separating those two things. Exactly. You've mentioned this evening a few times, Sam, about about your um, about your wife and about, you know, how important she's been to you. And yeah. um, you, you said the really nice thing before that you were saying that you knew that she was with you for you. Yeah. And that was really important. And I, and I I fully like resonate with that because um when I've had really difficult times, the partner that I'm with now, that's been really important to me to know that somebody's like that they, they, yeah, they yeah. love you yeah, yeah. even with all the pain in the arse behavior and that yeah. sort of stuff. And yeah. it does, it means a lot. And and I suppose when you were going through those difficult moments, how important was she in terms of of, of having something to to sort of hold on to that was that you knew was real if you know what I mean well like I said before like I never thought I'd act upon like my suicidal thoughts whereas if I didn't have her I probably would have Mm. because she kept me together she was she was the only one even now she don't speak about football to me like she she hears me moan about it or whatever if I because I I moan like like anything but not I'm actually better at the moment but um yeah we have that relationship. Like I've been with her since I was 16, just turned 16. So her family didn't know anything about football. They knew nothing. She didn't know anything. And it, it's the perfect situation for me. So literally she just, she calms me down. She's that one person that she's the complete opposite to me. Like I'm up here and she's down there and we meet in the middle and it's perfect. So yeah. it's always been the same. And like my kids, are, my, my, my daughter's highly strung. My son's a lot. My son, my middle son, he's like her, relaxed, chilled out, and then the other one's just a tear away. But um, yeah, she was. She kept everything going, and uh, yeah, I owe everything to her. She, do you know what? The, one of the, the things was, we was on holiday in Dubai, and this was what the final last straw. And I told someone this the other day, and it's the only person I told. She knows the story. She said, "Don't ever tell anyone this because it makes me look bad." <laughs> but. We walked down the street and we still walk down that street today because the kids, we always go back to the same hotel. We love it and blah, blah, blah. And she went, I want this car for when we have kids. And it was, I think it was a Porsche KN. I was like, I'm not playing football no more. We don't, we might not be able to have that car when we have kids, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, after all the shit she's been through, at least I could provide her that. <laughs> so I was like, that was the last thing. And it just went, bosh, I'm going back. And that was it. <laughs> I really hope my other half doesn't listen to this and expect no. me to get it. But you've dropped me in it now, Sam. She's never had one. She's never had one. 
she's never had one. I never got her one, but I, I, I was able to get her one if I wanted to get her one. <laughs> and I presume she was, when you were kind of in that position to feel ready to talk, was she the first person or one of the first people that you kind of... She's always the first them. person I speak to anything. Yeah. After this interview, I'll ring her up and tell her how it went and stuff like that. Like, she just, she's the only one that probably can put up with me because she really knows me. Like, like your mum and dad know you, but they don't know you as a man yeah. and know you as a person. She's the only one that really, really knows me and gets me. And I think if you're lucky enough to have that, and I was lucky enough to have that, she's the one that saved me. So I was all right. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. I'm welling up here, Sam. You're making me emotional. Nah. <laughs> you, mate. Do, you, do you think, um, do you think it's natural for men to feel more comfortable talking to women, like talking to a female partner as though there's, Maybe the, the, there might be a kinder reaction. Maybe it's more caring. Yeah, potentially. I think if you get the right person, you have the right relationship. Like, I feel comfortable speaking to anyone. We had a mind room when Angelotti was in, and and it was a it was a bloke that I saw, and it was a bloke that I saw in the priory, and I felt really Dr. Hopley, um, and he sent me on to Peter Kruger, which sounds a really funny name. Yeah, I always think, right, scary that. Yeah, but he was a sports psych, and I went on to him. So I never professionally never spoke to a female, but um, I can understand why because they're more caring and softer. But um, I think it's just whoever you're comfortable speaking with. I've spoke to a couple of Sheffield Wednesday fans that that were struggling, and my message was to them: just speak to who you feel comfortable with. It could be anyone. And is it since you've kind of. You know, you, we've obviously never met before and we're just on this call yeah. and you've yeah, been yeah. Very, very honest and open about a few things with us. And and I suppose, the, is it the more you talk, the easier it gets every single yeah, time? Yeah, this is like therapy for me. Like I watch, there's a podcast, I don't know if you've seen it, James English, and he, he has quite a yeah. lot of the gangsters and stuff like that on it. And like even the stuff they go through, it resonates with me. Mm. And I think the more people you can listen to that have had gone through problems or different different ways of life and the experiences you can take from them i'm not saying everything they've done is right and a lot of the time i think well you've put yourself in that situation so that's what you've got to deal with but people can say that the same about me i've put myself in that situation so deal with the consequences and i totally agree with that i think you have to take stuff on your shoulders and not look to blame anyone else like don't get me wrong people are dealt really bad hands and like there's no way out of it but you're the only way to get yourself out of it that inner belief that everyone has it. And I, I believe that everyone has that, that something to get them well and, and to help them. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Sam. I think it's, you know, it's, it's like, t- like empowering people, isn't it? Telling yeah. them that you've, you've got it. It's, it's in there, yeah. you, you know, and you're the only one who can unlock it. It's just... Because yeah. we we're all made up the same. We're, I know we have different personalities, but we're all made up the same. And I, I honestly believe with everything that's going on in, the, in like negativity, the racism and everything like that, if we just simplified it, and, do you know what I mean? And I'm not yeah. trying to preach or anything, but if it was just simplified and everyone just fucking was not jealous and just live their lives and be happy, like it's never going to happen, but it would make it a lot better. Yeah. And that's it, isn't it? I think with the, as we're talking about like the abuse and stuff online, you just yeah. look at it and you just think, why, like, just, just, there's no need for it. It's just no. unnecessary. And it's, you yeah. know, I, th- I think it's, it's, yeah, I think that's exactly the right way to look at it. Um, Sam, one thing I did want to ask you about, which was it's obviously a really difficult subject at the moment with to do with Lee Collins, who um, obviously, yeah. as we all know, sort of lost his life to suicide very recently. And he's um sort of almost exactly the same age as, as you, isn't he? Very similar yeah, yeah. Age to you, and obviously yeah. also a footballer and someone who's probably gone through some of the very similar emotions that you went through. How did yeah. 
you know, for, for someone like you, who's obviously very outspoken about this type of thing yeah, and, yeah. And, and gone through it, how did that kind of resonate with you and how did you kind of react to that news? Do you know, when I first heard it, because one of the boys heard it before it broke and stuff, I think, and I was just like, whoa, you don't, it takes you back. And then mm. the first thing is you think, has he got any kids? That's my first thing. Mm. Like straight away, and he had three girls, didn't he? Yeah. I think he had three, I think he had three girls. And I just thought, like the headspace he must have been at at that point to do what he's done for having them three girls and a, a wife or whatever, I just think, what can you what can you say like i didn't know him as a person but straight away you just feel i felt my when went to the kids i just felt so sorry for the kids because they've lost out on a dad from they didn't ask him to go for all the pressure and everything that he had to do and whatever i don't know the reasoning behind it but you look into it and you can think about what he has to go through as a footballer as a professional or whatever and you just think just horrible yeah horrible and you said there that one of the other lads in the team was someone else that heard it before. Before yeah. you, what was what was the reaction from the from the players? I mean, I know we said before that's not something that the football. But I don't think about, people but... are shocked. I don't think people are shocked, and I don't think it'll be the last time because the pressure, whatever level you're at now, is just mounting uncontrollably. Like we spoke about before, with the abuse, the, the social media, the scrutiny put on everyone. Some people are not programmed to deal with that. They're programmed to play football because they've played football from what you call it. But unless you're teaching them in academies and teaching them like, and adding that in their training, how is a normal person ever going to cope with that? Because that's all we are as footballers. You're still, not, you're still a person. You're still a human. You still have the same emotions as everyone else. It's like the people that go in to Love Island or Big Brother and the ones that have struggled with that. They've gone from zero to 100 and then gone, oh no, like, and then can't cope. That's the same with a footballer. Granted, it might have it might have gone through childhood and gone through like a longer stage, but it's still the same thing. Just because you get paid money, it doesn't mean you can cope with these things. No, and the and pressure th- now is just immense. Yeah, and that's the it's it's funny, isn't it, that when people use that argument of well, the cop out. Yeah, it is. It's lazy, Completely. isn't it? Yeah. When well, look at Tyson Fury, probably the greatest boxer Britain will ever see. He'd, he'd done everything and then fell off. Mm. But he was at the top. So he had all the money in the world. But no, because it's not, it doesn't discriminate. It messes you up. He had all the pressure on him. He was probably doing for everyone. And it doesn't discriminate. Yeah, 100%, mate. And I think you, you know, you've, you've kind of referenced it before about your coaching badges and that type of thing. And, you know, I mean, you're only 31, and I'd imagine you're not you're not looking to hang up your boots anytime no, soon. No, definitely not. I don't, I don't want to retire you on the, by the end no, of this. Um, please don't. Then, no. <laughs> I mean, once you once you've had a little uh, little stint at Tranmere, which is our team, then you can then you can retire. I'm not going. I'll be honest with you. I'm not going any more north than Sheffield. I said that when I come up. Here. We're favourite town, mate. You're all right. We're we're basically yeah. we're basically <laughs> we're basically south by the time you get to us you've from got, Sheffield. You've got quite a lot of good players anyway, haven't you? You got yeah, we got I think born. Yeah, Vaughan and Jay Spearing. Spearing. I can yeah, see you yeah. and Jay in the middle of midfield pulling the strings. I used to It'll play against him in a youth team and he was at Liverpool Spearing, so he's yeah. my age. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it now. What a midfield duo <laughs> it'll be. Get Liam Palmer oh, to come back with you as well and we'll, yeah. be, we'll be flying. He, he, speaks fond- he speaks fondly of Tranmere Palms. He's, yeah. my, he's my closest at Sheffield Wednesday, so... He was brilliant he for us, wasn't that. he, Ryan? Liam Palmer yeah. was great, wasn't he? Yeah, he was excellent. Really good. Um, hmm. 
but I'd imagine then that you're probably you seem like the type of person who's probably thinking about you know what am I going to do next? What would I like yeah. to do? What are your have you got any kinds of thoughts about what yeah, you, what I, kinds I want to do next? When I retired, I did a lot of I did a lot of media work. Funnily enough, I worked for Chelsea TV and done. I'd like to go that side, but I'd also like to do. I'd like to help, like with the, with like the mental side of it, and I don't know how I could and how I'd get into it, but I would love to help players and young players not just coach like anyone could be a coach I think but with the experience I've had in in football and what I've gone through I'd like to help a mentor and do and do that side of it I don't know how it would work and what would happen but yeah I, I know for a fact we spoke about did the PFA help I got someone to ring the PFA hotline once uh for to speak to someone because they felt depressed and whatever and one of the guys I won't say who his name is he went, all right, bruv, and answered the phone like that. Seriously? So, what is that? Was yeah. that like a player hotline? Is, it? is that what you're is that what you're told or given the we advice? Got, he got a number, he got a number for someone quite high up. He was like, All right, mate, how you doing, bro? And I was like, and I was on the other side and I could hear it. And I was like, what on earth is going on there? If you feel depressed and you're a bit suicidal and you get that answer in the phone call, and I'm not slamming the PFA because I don't know what they're like now, because mine was external. So I used I went from Chelsea, so I got the best. I got the best watch for it, but um, I heard that and I was like, good God, mm. how is that going to help anyone? Just that straight away, that would be like off, done. Yeah. I'm not speaking to them again. It's it's interesting because we uh, we did it. We had a conversation with a, a, a footballer a while ago. I can't remember who it was, but he was, he was not someone who's ever had any particularly strong um, difficulties with his mental health or anything. And I yeah. remember just kind of posing the question to him, like, you know, if you're in that position, do, would you know where to go or who to speak to? And he was kind yeah. of like, it's never really been something I've thought about, so I don't really know. Yeah. And I was kind of like, yeah. with mental health, it needs to be like dead easy to access. Yeah. It needs to be like obvious. Thousand percent. But like the PFA, they come in and do a workshop. Obviously they haven't recently, but they do a workshop on like gambling, mental health, the booking system and the drugs and stuff like that. But I'm not being funny. I've sat on the end of millions of them. And they're an hour long and they try and do them as short as possible, but it's protocol. Mm. You're not going to get 30 lads sitting in there listening to a load of rubbish of slides and stuff like that. There's got to be, I'm not saying I, I don't have a different way of doing it. I'm not saying there there's a better way that I know of, but I'm just saying there's got to be a way that you're going to get through to people better than that. Yeah. Cause it's well, not I, working. I wonder if, you know what you were saying before, Sam, I wonder if, so we had Ryan's, um, said a few times you could have like a head of well-being or a, a well-being person at a club yeah I, i'd imagine like someone like yourself and, and yeah. I, I talked about chris uwalumo before as well and i think we had the yeah. same conversation with him to work at a club and you could it could be a full-time role yeah. the fact that you've spoken publicly right in the middle of when you're at like the top of your game about yeah. those times that you've had difficulties yeah. and depression anxiety use those words you like have given permission to other players to come and knock on your door yeah, yeah. and speak. Well, I think to Chelsea you. have that. Chelsea have a well-being. Chelsea have a head of that. They have obviously the bigger club you're at. They're probably they go in different steps and steps. I haven't been yeah. there for so long, and what they had in place is, is obviously going to change. But like the levels that we've just spoke about, that Lee Collins, when are they going to get it? Yeah. When is the help needed for them? The ones that like all right, granted. So you're not allowed mental health because you get paid loads of money apparently, but the people in League One and Two and like obviously championships still get paid quite a lot of money. But 
where's the help for them? Because they're not get they're getting paid a normal salary and getting mm. the pressure on on that as well. Yeah, and that's that, so they're that, in a worse situation. Yeah, and they can't the, afford the help and don't have the help. Yeah, exactly. And 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 it's also like it's access, isn't it? It's, it's getting access it to it, and it's and it, and it, it you know it's difficult, isn't it? But I think it's it's. There's, there's too much money in the industry for it not to be available for people, isn't it? Yeah. And, and a club wouldn't think twice about having a physio no. at a club. So every, you have to have a physio. You have to have a club doctor. Mm. So why not have someone there? Even You don't even have to be qualified, just an ear. Yeah. Just someone to speak to, and it, it, it takes the weight yeah. off, doesn't it, massively? Of course it does. Yeah. Of course it does. Um, and for performance. It's yeah, well, a no-brainer. Yeah, well, they, they, they go hand in hand, wouldn't they? And I think they that's, that's the... You know that's the way that it'll it'll always be with with yeah. with professional players. Welcome back. I've still got Ant. I've still got Ryan. Chaps, thoughts. Ryan, you obviously were on that interview with me. Yep. What was your sort of takeaways from it? Do you know what? I was probably listening back um, rather than than being on it. What I, what I really liked was how bullish he was around his mm. his own mental health. Yeah, determination to to get himself better at times when he was struggling, and I think. Anybody listening who, who's going through anything difficult or has done in the past, it was it was kind of a lesson to to take control and, and understand you you can influence your your own mental health even at your lowest and darkest points. Obviously, he talks a lot about his family and the support network he had. Um, a, a lot of what he did was was with his his kids and and his missus in in mind. But um, yeah, that was the the biggest takeaway for me was just sort of the ownership he put on his own yeah. mental well-being. Well, it was funny because you used honesty at the at the top of the show, and and I think that was you know we, we I kind of always am worried about the word honest because you see that a lot when people go you know so and so is you know honest and open and this and that and all the rest of it and what they mean is is like they're just talking about stuff that's relating to them whereas i feel like what was really genuinely honest about what sam was saying was we were asking him questions and often even on our podcast but on lots of podcasts you hear people will skate around and answer because they they are either not wanting to fully nail their colors to the mast on something or they don't want to upset somebody but sam would just say you know we said to him you know would that be the type of thing the footballers would talk about between themselves or would you be able to talk to the club about that and he was like no, not really, not as far as I'm aware. And his experience are obviously only within the clubs he's played for, and there are a plethora of clubs across the country, but he was just nailed his colours to the mast, didn't he? Just very honest about it and said, this is my experience of it, and this is how I've dealt with it. Yeah, I mean, he, um, when I was listening to it, there was one point I, I picked up on as well, um, talking about being honest. You know when he said he was driving, yeah. and um, he was like, oh, what if I just belt this car into a wall yeah. or another car or whatever and obviously that was like the like one of the lowest points he was going through it's really not uncommon yeah um i you know it's kind of it's sound this is gonna sound strange it's kind of like curiosity really isn't it i think yeah. more of like you know when you're sitting in the back of the car on the motorway and you're going oh what if i just open the door now yeah but i've had those feelings i've had those moments where you're in, in control of the car and you're going just belt this somewhere and you're going right and you tell someone that and they take it seriously they absolutely yeah. take it seriously I remember having a, fo- a phone call with, with a doctor and they were like hang on what, what do you mean and I was going I'm not going to do it like 100% not going to do it because I'm, I'm not at that point but I need to tell someone because it's obviously yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. a weird feeling yeah. it's so strange um, so when you're going on about being open and honest I mean he doesn't have to tell us that mm. that's mm. like stuff that's going through his head yeah. so I think 
it was it was fantastic to listen to and about his football career as well where he's going he was kind of caught in two minds about Chelsea I, I, I kind of gathered yeah, where I he, he was well. really happy that he he played for him and then obviously got the 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 like care around his injury and stuff but then didn't want to go back didn't want to go anywhere near because he, he, it was almost like it was it was it, I think he he you know, and I don't want to speak, put words in Sam's mouth, but the, the, I, got, I gathered that as well. There was almost like a split kind of loyalty to it because Chelsea was his club. He'd been there for so yeah. long and he probably felt hurt, probably fundamentally because it hadn't worked out for him how he'd always been told it was going to work out, that he was going to be a Chelsea player and, you know, he was going to do this and do that and, and it didn't work out that way for him. The fact that even through all that adversity, he's managed to forge an incredibly successful football yeah, career absolutely when he was when he was going on about going to uh, Paphos was it in Cyprus yeah. and um, you could tell there like players need a connection so when you see these why don't these players come over and play or go abroad and play yeah. players need a connection to a place and obviously he's got that at Sheffield Wednesday and he's got it with the fans yeah. um, even though I think we put a tweet out about him being a legend there was a few few discussions yeah, about I, that but. I probably won't call him a legend <laughs> in fact now I will sorry whatever I'm going to put so, it in capital letters this time yeah so, but you can see, like, he—I mean, he just wants to be—he wants to be loved by a football club. You can—you can tell that yeah. from when he when he talks, and obviously, he didn't get that all the way through with Chelsea. But Chelsea's a very like upper echelon type of club where you've got to fit yeah. in. They—they they change managers, they change, you know, staff like year after year. I mean, six months they got rid of one of the former favourite footballers, yeah. like so. He's clearly very—he was clearly very popular at Chelsea as well. Amongst you know, he talks about the way Mourinho spoke about him and. You can imagine him being popular around the dressing room and stuff. He, he seems like a... The thing I get from Sam Hutchinson, from watching him and also from listening to him, he's like a team player. Like, he, that, you know, the type of footballer that he is, he, you know... Do you reckon, he, um, do you reckon him and Essien just drank out of the same drink all the time? Well, I was going to say to him, <laughs> why you and Michael Essien keep kissing each other? You know, they're, <laughs> but I thought, I don't... Uh, yeah. But yeah, that, I just... Yeah, it was it was interesting, really. And I think, you know, we, we talk a lot on these podcasts about you know, this sort of reality of what it's actually like for a for a footballer. And his story is obviously at the extreme end of that. But when you hear about like he's like eleven, twelve, thirteen, he's in like a knee brace. Like that is mad, isn't it? So some some commitment to go through and, and still be a footballer yeah. as well. It's oh superb. hugely. I just I, I it's just you because you kind of hear about these things and then when you hear them in like a practical sense like this is literally what happened to me i was like 13 14 15 and i was coming off football pitches and i couldn't walk and then you think you look at that person there and and sam's in his 30s now and he's he's playing for sheffield wednesday he, he you know he's he signed the new deal didn't he recently so he's going to be part of their team to well, try and get him out of, out of league he one he almost kept year. them up as well didn't he yeah, that was a mad game. Yeah, mad game absolutely mad game and I think for a club like Sheffield Wednesday I mean someone like Sam seems like the type of guy as you say he wants to be loved by a club but he wants to play for somewhere and I think where they match his his energy almost his desire to want to go and win things and his desire to want to go and be you know give 110% and Sheffield Wednesday's definitely that type of club you know they're an old club with a, with, with a lot of history and passionate fan base and you know that part of the world is is you know it, it is is big on his football you know they've got that big rivalry obviously with Sheffield United and I think he fits there perfectly and we talked about I was using that word legend before and, and I was getting a little bit of stick on on Twitter for it and I mean to a degree I could see people's points around it but I suppose it depends for us I mean we've been through it with Tramia there are players that have been you know 
standout players for us at a division two, three lower than we would like us to be playing at. Does it mean that they're not not legends at the club? Does it mean that they're not heroes of ours? I don't I don't necessarily agree that it that it does. So I think it just depends kind of how you view people who play for your football club. And Sam seems like the type of guy who and you know, every time I've seen him play, he will leave everything on the pitch for you. And I don't think as a as a football fan you can really ask for an enormous amount more from it from a player and added to that all the stuff that he's gone through and he's been able to come out and talk about it and open that door to other people as well. There is absolutely no doubt that him coming out and speaking and being as honest as he's been and, and as eloquent as he's been in the way that he talks about it, using the right terminology. You know, we use the theme, we said ill, and I think that's important, isn't it? How many how many people have we spoken to in this podcast? And we don't hear that word, do we? Ill, sick. And and it's constantly talking about mental health and physical health are one and the same. And I think you would say ill or sick if it was a physical ailment, but we don't with mental health. So it's really important to use that language when we start to get a more rounded understanding of exactly what mental health is. And yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to, to seeing Sam in League One next season, tearing it up. I'm kind of gutted we didn't get promoted. I'd love to have seen him at Prenton Park. Mm. That would have been great. It's funny as well, they're in Sheffield United always seem to miss each other. Yeah. Like they've come back into the championship, they've gone down. Sheffield United will leave one for years when they were in the championship. It's probably why their derbies are so kind of fiercely contested because yeah. they don't get them all the time. Should, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Chaps, and that's probably a sensible place for us to wrap up, I think. Thank you to, to everyone who's listened. If you want to uh, if you want to get in touch with us, as I mentioned at the top, you can do on manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at marking underscore man. And don't forget to use the hashtag where's the talking lads. If you've enjoyed today's episode or any of our other offerings, then uh, we'd greatly appreciate you heading over to Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get podcasts. Leave us a a five-star review, a rating, a follow, subscribe, whatever the button is that you need to hit. It just helps us to grow the podcast and reach new listeners. If you are in a position where you feel as though you may need to talk to somebody about your mental health, then we've got a couple of places we can point you in the direction of. The first one is the Samaritans. They have a 24-hour phone line, and that's 116123. Or you can phone the Calm Zone at 0800 58 58 58, and that's from 5pm to midnight. And there will also be some other links and numbers and places you can go to, which will be in the the, uh, the write-up, the bio for, for this episode. So we thoroughly encourage you to check those out. Um, coming up on Wednesday. Wednesday? It's Wednesday, innit? I'll just keep saying Wednesday. <laughs> Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, so on Wednesday, we're going to be doing our... We're going to be releasing our review season review episode so back at the start of this season which feels about 15 years ago and um, the 2020 2021 season we did some predictions for all of the top four divisions premier league championship league one and league two so on wednesday we'll be releasing our review where we'll be going through those predictions some of which are absolutely shocking and um, but i think we've done ourselves proud all in all to be honest with you fellas the three amateurs that we are we've done excellent <laughs> And I use the word amateur in the in the most generous sense as well. Uh, and then we'll be back again on Friday as we'll be releasing a Euros preview show as well. And then for the next four or five weeks, we'll be doing a show on a Monday, which will be an interview like you've heard today. And on a Friday, which will be a Euros show as well, where we'll be chatting football, won't we? We will. We will. Won't we, Ant? Absolutely. Absolutely, football. So we're now going to finish up and we're going to hand you over to Sam and his mini quiz to finish. Now, currently on the leaderboard, we've got Chris Hall, we've got Alan Marn, and we've got Jason Brown. Now, 
Jason Brown, who was the last person who did the mini quiz, he went straight to the top with a six. Wow. Six out of eight. Chris Olsen second with five. Uh, Alan Marner, I think he only got like two or something, didn't he? Alan's, <laughs> Alan's bottom at the moment. Um, so we'll see how Sam Hutchinson gets on. From memory, I think he did pretty well. Pretty well. I think he got off to a slow start and then ended well. Yeah, so uh, you know he might not pip Jason Brown, who did it excellently. Um, but yeah, so we're going to hand you over now to Sam and the mini quiz. We'll be back on Wednesday and then on Friday. We'll hope to see you then. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. You're not really best known for your goal scoring exploits, but do you know no. how many career goals you've scored? Six. Seven we've got. Seven? Yeah. We might have given Take you that. one. <laughs> yeah. One might you know be what? an own goal. I don't know. <laughs> Might be an own goal, but the one against Arsenal, I didn't actually touch. It got crossed. It we won three nil, and Debush, um Tom Lee's crossed it in, and Debushi it come off of him, but it looks like I scored, so I got it. But I can tell you for a fact, I never touched it. I ended up in the net, but yeah. <laughs> uh, one of those, one of those goals, which you now know you didn't touch, yeah. um, was against Arsenal. Do you remember who was in goal that day? Yeah, Petrček, because he come in after the game, and I was close with him, and like. He said, nah, nah, I'm not having you scoring. He was in hysterics. Like, they just lost 3-0. And he was, he thought it was so funny that I scored against him. And I said, I didn't touch it anyway. And he was like, oh, I'm better now. <laughs> so I do remember, yeah. So you made your Premier League debut against Everton in 2007. Do you remember yeah. which current Tramier player scored the equaliser for Everton? Yeah. Born. And, and, he took the, and he took the mick as well. He was, that, he was so good that day. My, I come off the pitch and my dad spoke more about Vaughan than he did about me because he bullied JT. So I remember it, yeah. He was horrible. When he yeah. was before all of the proper injuries as well, when he was young, he was horrible. Yeah. Big problem. So another of um, another of your goals was scored in a, in a Yorkshire derby against Barnsley in 2016. Yeah. But the game will uh, be remembered by some for a strange incident where you were shown a red card. Hamill. But, but not Hamill. Oh, it's just, I can't even get to the end of the question. <laughs> <laughs> we had a four. It's doing well here. Mashing it, yeah. smashing it. Well, the, well, I've got four out of four because this, I'm, yeah, I'm not te- counting the Bushy's te- goal. Technicality, yeah. isn't it? There. Yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> to the last. Okay, yeah, we'll give you four out of four. So, question five. Um, you, of course, from Windsor, famous for Legoland. But do you know yeah. which of the former Chelsea player was born and lived in Windsor? Oh, Peter um, Osgood. Yeah. Yeah, flying, yeah, flying know, for five. Yeah, but I know some of his family, so yeah, I know, yeah. Um, so you made your Vitesse debut in a 1-0 win away to Ajax um, in 2013. You can have this question, I don't care about <laughs> Vitesse. <laughs> so there were, yeah, there, were, there were two current Premier League players in the team with you that day. Do you remember who Davey they were? Pro- Davy Proper. Yeah. And... Oh, Pat Van Arnholt. Yeah, Pat at Van Arnold. Yeah, Pat. Pat's a good geezer. I grew up. Pat come to Chelsea when he was young. Yeah. So I grew up with him. He's crazy, but he's a really nice guy. Vitesse is like a boarding school for Chelsea, isn't it? Like you just get sent there. <laughs> I got, I got sent there to see a physio. Get on that, and they never told me. <laughs> I, had a, I had a three week old baby, and they sent me to Vitesse to see a physio. End up playing against Ajax. Yeah, terrible. So, obviously, you spent a large portion of your career at Sheffield Wednesday, who have a very yeah. unusual name, Wednesday. Do you know why they're called Wednesday? Formed on a Wednesday? <laughs> it's way for go. That Not was a bad shot. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of the players were traders and they were only able to play on a Wednesday. There we go. Back in uh, 1887. There we go. Never knew that. You're going to ask me loads of Wednesday questions now and I can slip up here. Well, we've got, we've got uh, we, we, we thought we'd be kind to you because we thought we wouldn't drop you in here like lunch. So you spent, uh, you obviously spent a short time at Paphos in uh, in yep. Cyprus. Um, so if I was to go on holiday to Paphos, which yeah. famous landmark named after a Greek goddess could I visit? I don't know, mate. I didn't go outside in Paphos. <laughs> I went to the airport. I went to the airport and I went to the training ground, and it wasn't for me. <laughs> uh, it was Aphrodite's Rock. Aphrodite's oh, there we go. Rock. Yeah, I've heard about go. Aphrodite's Rock. Yeah, never um, went. Sam, that's 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 all the, the you'll be you'll be you'll be glad to know that's the quiz done. <laughs> Perfect. Quiz. I enjoyed um, it. There's a few English lads at Pathos. Was Hepper Murphy there when you were there? Yeah, Rush was there and Jason Punchin. Yeah, but Punchin's like the king of Pathos. He loves it. <laughs> I don't, I, honestly, honestly, I'm not trying to bad mouth it and be negative, but I do not know why. <laughs> <laughs> they had that manager, didn't they? Is it, I don't know if he still is a Constantine who's been like. Yeah, he's there now. He wasn't there with me. Was but he he's there now. He's yeah. been manager of like every random country you can think of, hasn't he? <laughs> oh, it's, there's been four managers this season. It started off with John Toshak's son. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it did, didn't That's it? how yeah. I went out there. That's how I went out there with him. Then he got sacked and they brought in um, a Ukrainian guy and it was just crazy. It was Honestly, you'd never know. Oh, it's crazy out there. <laughs> I didn't get paid for the first three months. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. They still owe me money as well. Good luck at that. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think I'll come back? <laughs> if, you ever, um, if you ever need to go on a raiding mission over to Cyprus to get it, I'll come with you. Just uh, I'll go and visit Aphrodite's Rock while we're out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>